Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Uh, delighted that you joined us for what I think will be a really nice addition with uh, Jerron Boots-Ennis joining us. Uh, of course, the spectacular young welterweight who at age 23 was thought of as a great prospect and now, after his win over Sergei Lipinets, is thought of as a contender in the welterweight division. And we'll talk about all that with him uh, and uh, I'll give a few of my comments as well as we move on. Uh, but uh, now I want to introduce my co-host uh, for the show, uh, my good pal Trip Mitchell. Hi, Trip. How are you? I'm doing great, Al, and uh, I'm excited to see Showtime is really uh, marching things up. A lot of great fights being scheduled, and you're going to be in California for two fights during May, including a super bantamweight fight coming up here in the middle of May. Yeah, very excited. The The schedule goes all the way through September, uh, averaging a couple of fights uh, a month, a couple of shows a month with with loaded cards that include not only good main events, but some wonderful car fights on the under cards as well that people will enjoy. So I'm really excited to, to be, uh, to be announcing those. And yeah, it does start off with a WBC super Bantamweight, uh, championship, uh, with a couple of champions, uh, Brandon Figueroa taking on, uh, Luis Neri, uh, and, these two are ticketed for a war. Uh, Nettie is a power puncher who moved up from the Bantamweight division. Uh, Brandon Figueroa is a very aggressive fighter uh, who has great offense and sometimes suspect defense, and that makes for exciting fights. And on May 15th at the Dignity uh, Health Center Sports Park, they will be... Um, they will be battling away. Uh, and of course, that will be the location of both that fight and the next one we're going to talk about. And uh, it should be it should be very, very exciting. I think it'll have those fans there um, uh, on the edge of their seats. And a couple weeks later, Nonito Donaire, who is arguably one of the classiest guys in the sport of boxing, great career. He'll be uh, hoping to add something to that career. Yeah, he will uh, be having a fight that he was supposed to have uh, months ago, and we even interviewed him on this show uh, in advance of that. And just after that interview, he caught COVID and couldn't uh, do the fight against Nordin Obale. And Obale, though not a household name to perhaps as many fans as, uh, uh, as Donaire, is a world champion, and he is a terrific fighter. He, he's a left-hander who are really a very, very sound technician in the ring. And I think he and uh, Donaire will make for a terrific fight. And as you pointed out, uh, Nonito Donaire, just trying to build on his legacy, which is already an astonishing one, one that I'm sure has him ticketed to go to the uh, uh, to be inducted in the uh, International Boxing Hall of Fame. So uh, winning another title at this advanced stage in his late 30s 
would would really do that. And of course, she's coming in off uh, a match. He's got a long layoff since that match uh, against uh, Inoue, in which he he they put on the fight of the year in uh, 2019, and it was staggeringly good. And uh, it demonstrated to the world that Nonito Donaire is uh, still has a lot to offer inside the ring so that's going to be a good good one and there'll be some great undercard fights on that one as well as on the um the card with uh luis nitty and uh brandon figueroa so those two cards are going to kick off uh you know what should be a great series of fights this week this uh, summer and on a personal level do you enjoy doing fights in outdoor stadiums versus indoors what's your preference you know i I am of the mind that boxing is an indoor sport. However, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I think it's, it's like, remember Woody Hayes when uh, they used to ask him why he doesn't pass very much? And he said, well, two out of three things that happen to you when you throw a forward pass are bad, right? You know, incompletion <laughs> or an interception. So I don't like my odds, you know. Uh, and I have to say that boxing outside presents – its challenges and its issues. I mean, you know, it could rain, right? Uh, the elements could get involved. The wind could kick up, knocking over cameras, uh, you know, making it impossible for the fans to sit there. I mean, all kinds of things can happen in an outdoor setting. Having said that, sometimes the outdoor settings are fantastic. For instance, those great fights at the uh, that we've talked about and recently, uh, you know, dealt with on this show, uh, talking about Hagler Hearns, the great fight outdoors uh, at Caesars Palace when they used to turn that parking lot into a 20,000 person uh, uh, stadium. And this, the, the location that we're going to be at in May also has a grand history in boxing. The, it was formerly the Home Depot Center. Uh, among other names, and uh, now the Dignity um, Health, uh, Health Center uh, a Sports Park. And, the, I mean, we, one of the great fights that I've ever announced, we did there, uh, the third fight in the uh, battle between uh, uh, with uh, Vasquez and um, Valdez, Valdez and Vasquez, uh, great, 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 uh, uh, you know, uh, trilogy of fights and there have been many other great fights uh at that uh at that location so it's a really um it's a really terrific location and uh and so while i outdoor fights in general are not my fave i have to say that if i looked at a list of great fights i've done outdoors there have been many well, and someday in the future, when we have some time, I'd love to talk to you about earlier in your career, the top rank fights when you guys were that traveling circus going yes. all over the country, doing fights in some weird spots. We were, yes, we should devote a, a, a period of time to that. Uh, one of them was the uh, the Cow Patty Festival in Gardnerville, <laughs> uh, Nevada, which was held literally in a cow, you know, in a where cows would uh, um, graze and. Uh, all that that entails, I don't need pointing that out. Uh, and uh, we uh, we were outdoors doing that every year. We would visit there every year. That was the scene of the our, our perhaps our most famous open when they came to us on camera, and I was sitting on a horse, uh, and Barry was on 
what turned out to be a fence post. It looked like a horse. And at the end of our open, I rode away on my horse. He got off the fence post, walked into a Cadillac, and they drove him away. So <laughs> it was a good, it was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, so we should talk about because some of those uh, things were fantastic. Um, I could picture this young man, if he came up at a different time, I could picture him on some of those uh, cards that we had on ESPN for up-and-coming fighters. He, in fact, was on Showbox, the series on Showtime, that, which in a way is somewhat similar to some of the things we did on that old ESPN show because it highlights young fighters as they are coming up and heading toward a world championship. And, and Jerron Boutsenis was terrific on Showbox, uh, and uh, he got his, uh, his coming out party on Showtime Championship Boxing recently uh, when he fought Sergey Lipinets, and it was uh, a remarkable performance by him in uh, beating Lipinets and stamping himself as now a contender in the welterweight division. And here's our chat with Jerron Boots-Ennis. Well, Boots, you had a uh, wonderful night in... Uh, the Mohegan Sun against Sergei Lipinets uh, in what was perhaps your most important victory as a professional. And the way that fight played out was intriguing. Uh, you came out in that match uh, as you intended to come out against Chris Van Heerden in your last fight and sustain it. But that fight with Van Heerden got stopped so quickly because of the clash of heads. You came out jabbing and using your height and reach in that fight. Was that pretty much by design? Um. Uh, yes, uh, I knew that was, that's, that was like the game plan, you know, just to be smart and, you know, take my time, you know, like show a little, a little bit more skills on this fight. Yeah, you did. And you were using your jab and your, uh, your combination punching well, fighting at distance. When did you realize it, in the Lipinets fight that it was okay to to go for more power punching and uh, and push him back a little bit. Um, well, I, I feel like um, I feel like I could have stopped him in the third round, but you know I I let off the gas and I listened to my corner and my dad was like, just just take your time, don't rush it, and uh, you know just you know just let let it come, and that's what I did. So I, I went back to you know the game plan, you know just uh, jabbing and you know keep stabbing that body, and I knew eventually I was gonna break him down. Yeah, and you did knock him down uh, before during uh, before you ended up stopping the fight in the previous round, uh, and you the only in that fight there were only a couple of overhand rights that he landed one nice uppercut. Did you feel the power of any of his punches? Um, he 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 landed uh, I think like two or three overhands, but it, yeah, but well, people don't really understand or watch, I, I roll with most of those mm -hmm. shots that he, he did throw. I, I never really get hit with full punches, so I don't I don't know if he really was strong or not, you know. I, yeah, you didn't really <laughs> feel it dramatically. Yeah, yeah. I, I, that's one thing about me. If, if I do get hit, it's not with a clean, a clean, clean punch. I always, you know, try to take it away or roll. And some of these boxing experts talking about some, uh, they said I, I got hit with a lot of overhands. I only got hit with about probably like two or three. Uh, I don't know what they were seeing, but. Yeah, there wasn't many. There was only a couple of couple of right, overhand rights that landed in that fight. Um, you tweeted out that you thought it was a good performance, but you said that you could have done a little bit more. Uh, how so? Um, well, 
I actually felt like I thought um uh, Sergey was going you know bring a different side out of me and and, and you know it took me you know make make me do things I didn't do before. But I felt like you know uh, it just it was like a regular fight for me. Like I, it was like kind of just me in there having fun and being myself, and I didn't have to go into my bag and you know use those extra tools that I like to dig down deep. Uh, I feel like it's just like a you know a regular fight. I, like I don't take nothing away from Sergey. Great fighter. Um, uh, I think, like I said before, I thank him for you know taking a fight and stuff like that, and him and his team. But it just, it just like a normal fight to me. It was just you know just me in there having fun and you know putting on a show. Well, you did that for sure, and uh, you were able to to be the first one to, uh, you know, you stopped him and uh, dominated the, virtually every minute of the the fight, uh, which. Brings me to a question that, I you know, I mentioned it on the broadcast, uh, that I don't think you have lost a round of boxing as a professional. Uh, we, we can't, we checked, Steve Farr had checked about 80% of the scorecards. You couldn't get all of them. Uh, and it didn't look like there was any round as a pro where you lost two of the three judges, maybe not even one. Do you think you've ever lost a round as a pro? Um, yeah, I'll try to remember I, every round, but does it, it, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think I have though. I think I'm like uh, won most of all the rounds that I fought, and you know, you know, I got a lot of knockouts. So you know, it's, I haven't went to the distance that many times. So no, no, we don't, we don't know. But but on the scorecards, I think I was winning like most of the, most of all of my rounds and stuff like that. Yeah, and up to this point, you're only averaging just a little under three rounds a fight, but nonetheless, uh, do you remember, I don't know if you remember him from the years past, Michael Nunn, the great middleweight champion. Uh, he was a terrific middleweight champion, and I broadcast a lot of his fights, and he went several years uh, without ever losing a, a, <laughs> you know, a round on the scorecard. So, and he was a left-hander, and you switched to lefty a lot. So it made me made me think of Michael Nunn, who ironically was trained by Joe Goosen, who went against you in the in this last fight. Um, we're going to get into your immediate future and all the rest of it a little later, but um, I am curious about this. Does anybody still call you Jerron? Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just, you know, a few people, just, you know, uh, people that don't really know me, but 90% of the people, I would say 95% of people, uh, call me boots. Yeah. So not even, even like older people that knew you when you were a kid or something, they, they know you as boots. Yeah. Everybody, 90, 95%, yeah. 95% of the people that I know, family, friends. <laughs> they call me. They call me uh, my boots. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, and of course the nickname was. Uh, it was an intriguing story in a way because yeah, your mom wanted to name you Boops, right? Uh, yeah. And, and and so your dad was saying, "Well, explain how that happened." Oh uh, well, when I was younger, my my original nickname was Boops, B O O P S. But I, me being, you know, me going to the gym, my dad taking me to the gym, and me playing around, you know, being a you know, a bad little kid throwing stuff and <laughs> and just, you know, uh, my dad was saying, like, stop doing that, uh, boops. And he was thinking, like, he was saying, like, boots, like the shoes. So we just changed it ever since. And it just stuck with me. And, uh, I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> it's funny. Isn't that weird how uh, 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 even a misunderstanding can create a nickname that is, uh, you know, 
is so identifiable, and uh, you get a kick out of it anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely was crazy and definitely, you know, a weird thing. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, look, look where it took me. Look where the name took me now. You know, everybody. Right. Now, yeah, now it's, everybody, a, it's a market. You're a brand now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and everybody, that's all they call me now is Boots. So yeah. They don't even call me by my real name. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, now, your brothers, uh, Derek and Farrell, were, were boxers, of course. And your dad, Bozzi, was a, a, a professional fighter, and you were going to the gym when you were so young. Uh, was there ever any doubt that you were going to be a boxer? Um, no, there was never no doubt. On I some mean, level, I was, anyway. No, there was never no doubt I was going to be a boxer. Uh, just, you know, I, like I like you just said, I've been around the boxing game forever, uh, since I was been born. And I, I was able to see both my brothers, you know, fight on Showtime. Showbox, uh, ESPN, and the cameras was always around. And, you know, it was, it was something that that had like, it just stuck with me, and everything came natural to me when I was a when I like when I started boxing. I never, I never uh, like stepped and threw punches. Like my dad just put me in there, and I was just respond and being like it just came natural towards me. Yeah, so it was instinctive. Um, you, uh, you and your dad, of course, have shared this journey. Uh, in boxing and I always it always fascinates me for for you know fighters that have their dads as trainers and of course I've known many many over the years and I always it's always interesting to me each person has their own way of separating out dad from trainer how do you do that in your mind and how do you guys collectively do that in your relationship I mean and at the end of the day my dad you know he we we don't bump heads or anything. We just we we keep everything the same, and he's the same as a trainer, and he's the same as a you know, as a dad, and that's that's just wonder wonderful about him. You know, uh, whatever he say, I do, and you know we don't we don't bump heads. We just you know stay on the right path. <clears throat> so it's pretty seamless from trainer to dad, and the two kind of blend well, huh? Uh, definitely. Uh, we got a different type of bond, and as y'all can see, you know, on fight night. Uh, when I've been in that ring, we, we just be talking regular, like like it's a regular day when I'm in that ring. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, that, that's intriguing. So the the communication between the two of you feels just like any other time, huh? Uh, yeah, definitely. Even even when I was fighting on Saturday, uh, my dad was saying stuff, certain stuff, and I'd be like, "I got you, dad." I, I was like saying it out loud. I don't know if you, y'all heard me or not, but I was just I was talking to my I dad that, as yeah. I was fighting. Yeah, <laughs> that's intriguing. Um, yeah, we got we got a different type of bond. Like it's just, it's a diff whole different type of bond. Interesting. You uh, you of course switched from lefty to righty as a fighter, uh, and that's one of the the things that makes you unique. And and also, by the, the other thing that makes you unique is that you carry your power from both sides, which not everyone does when they switch. Did you do that instinctively when you were a young person boxing? Was that just part of your DNA as a fighter? Um, yeah, I, I've been switching, you know, since, uh, you know, since, since the amateurs and, and I always got like a lot of stoppages and, and knockouts in the amateurs too. So it's like nothing new to me. <laughs> yeah, that's intriguing. Well, you had a, a, a 58 and three amateur record and you did had a wonderful amateur career. The interesting thing though, is that two of those three losses came to the same person to Gary Antoine Russell and He's now campaigning as a professional at 140 pounds. Is he somebody you'd like to face as a professional if he ever moved up to your weight class? 
Uh, most definitely, if he if he move up, we definitely can make that happen. Uh, that's 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 definitely a great fight, and I think uh, a lot of people want to see it, but they know what's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. So you feel like it would be a different outcome, obviously. Uh, most definitely. I mean, you U.S. Uh, boxing, amateur boxing is different from the pros. We got on smaller. We got on smaller gloves. Uh, I can take my time. It ain't no pity pad punches, and I, I'm sitting down on everything. So it's a whole different. I'm a whole different fighter, a whole different animal in this pro game. And throwing all them pity, throwing all them pity pad punches in the in the, uh, in the amateur that help you win and stuff like that. It ain't gonna help you in the uh, in the pros. Yeah, and we, you have a built-in marketing tool for that fight, uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you, let's talk a little bit about your future now, uh, both your immediate and long-term future. When do you think you're going to be in the ring next, and are there any names of opponents being cast about already? Um, uh, I, I would like to be back in the ring, you know, uh, end of July, uh, maybe August. You know, just uh, we're, we're one of the top, you know, top three, top five guys, and hopefully, I can get one of those guys. Uh, yeah. It, you, obviously, the champions in the division, uh, Errol Spence, Bud Crawford, and your Danish Ugas, may not be available to you. For instance, Spence may fight Ugas. That's been talked about. Uh, so that would take them off the table. The fight with Crawford is a, probably a difficult one to make for uh, boxing political reasons uh, and others. So that leaves now, you know, people like Sean Porter and Keith Thurman, who's coming back in the ring. Jamal James, who has a version of the WBA title. Uh, Kustio Clayton, who fought uh, Sergey Lipinets, and uh, many people thought he won that fight. He's an example of somebody. Um, is there anybody among the, the group, and I probably missed names of other people that you could fight, uh, is there anybody that you look at and say, ah, that would be an interesting fight? Um, Like I said before, you know, I want to fight all the best fighters, and that's the goal, you know, to fight. If I can't get the world champion, I want to fight the guys that's under the world champion. If I can't get the guys that's under uh, the world champion, the next level under there. So I just, I want to stay at the high level, you know, and continue to fight the top guys and top competitors. And that's the only way you're going to be great and go down in history and, you know, as a legend and a future Hall of Famer. So that's the goal. And you are, um, uh, right now, you feel like, you're ready to fight for a world title, though. You're, if they offer this fight, that fight to you tomorrow, you would accept it. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, uh, what people don't know, I hear, I see people saying they don't think I'm ready to stand there, but I, I ain't have to dig deep in a fight yet to to show y'all. I'm a whole like, like I said before, I'm a whole different animal. When when especially if I belt online, I'm and I'm a young, hungry animal that that want to you know, you know be a multi-world uh, world champion. So when you're hungry like that, it's hard to be somebody that's hungry. It's hard to be somebody that, that love what they're doing. And I love what I'm doing. And it's only up. And uh, just, they give me a shot. I'm taking it and I'm going to win. Yeah, you're 23 years old. And, uh, and of course, you have a, you know, a big future ahead of you. And one of the things you talked about, the historical aspects of what you'd like to accomplish you're aware, very aware of the history, uh, the great history of boxing and boxing champions from the city of Philadelphia. 
and many people, you know, become additional fans of yours if they're uh, from Philly and they love the idea of you carrying the banner of the city. Is that something that you think about and, and uh, that feels like an extra perk from all this? I mean, yeah, I do think about that, you know, but every time I step into the ring, I always have Philly on my back. And, you know, the goal is to be, you know, to, like I said, fight the best and go down in history so I could be one of those Philly legends and, you know, a future, you know, Hall of Famer and stuff like that. So that's always the goal. I always think about that. And I can't wait till I do it. Yeah, very, very well. And you've got the great opportunities in front of you. In a, And as a welterweight, it's one of the glamour divisions in boxing has been for a long time. Are you going to be a welterweight for a while? Do you think? Um, I definitely think I'm going to be a welterweight for a while. I feel like I, my body, like finally, like grown into the weight class. And, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm continuing to get stronger. I feel like I'm developing, uh, the right way. And I definitely think I can I'm be in this weight class, you know, for a long time. Uh, <clears throat> what do you want them to say about, uh, about Boots when you're done with your career? What would you like to be the the, the defining statement about you? Uh, the defining statement is uh, that uh, uh, one of the one of the best fighters going down in history, if not the best, uh, he was a guy that, that fought, you know, a lot of top guys and, and beat all the top guys. And I want to be like a four, a three or four uh, time multi, you know, unified division world champion. All right, lofty goals, and you have a lot of talent, so they're not uh, goals that appear to be unattainable, that's for sure. Hey, Boots, thank you so much. It was uh, enjoyable getting to call your uh, fight against Sergey Lipinets, and I look forward to calling uh, many in the future. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me, uh, you know, put me on this platform. Happy to, happy to have you. You take care. Thank you. You too. So that was our chat with uh, Boots Ennis. A uh, fine young man who, uh, as you can see, is very focused and determined, uh, and he wants to make his future in boxing uh, a great one. And many people believe that he can do it. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a, a, a supportive, loving family with his dad as his trainer. Uh, he's got all the ability in the world, and his uh, focus on the sport is clear. So um, you have to believe, uh, you have to like his chances to become one of the top welterweights and top stars in the sport of boxing. And of course, it's always a great trip to be in that welterweight division. That's the glamour division in boxing. It, it, it seems like it, for the most part, it's been that for a long, long time. Well, Alan, if you look at it, and I've asked you that question, and but you've got the speed, but you also at 147, you've got power and speed, so it combines the best elements in boxing. Yeah, it really does. They're just big enough to where they, the, you, it's that's where the lower weight divisions kind of stop, and then middleweight picks up for the higher weight divisions. And so you're right; it's that combination of still being quick enough to throw a lot of punches, have a lot of punch volume, and yet we see a lot of dramatic knock knockouts. Uh, in the welterweight division. So Boots is well on his way. Uh, how do you get knockouts? How do you win decisions? Well, it's all about the fundamentals of the sport. And if you want to learn more about the fundamentals of the sport, uh, Tommy Ankello, uh, who has been a fine trainer in the sport of boxing, has a great YouTube channel called World Class Boxing, uh, where you can go see uh, these really fine videos that are fi- primarily teaching 
uh, videos, but also learning videos for fans that want to learn a little bit more about the sport and historical videos as well, because it talks about how certain fighters approach fights and how they would have uh, approached uh, different fights in history. So um, head over uh, there and uh, check out uh, Tommy Ancello's channel, uh, World Class Boxing. Now we're going to, in our next uh, episode, we're going to be chatting with uh, a man who is my broadcast mate on Showtime Championship Boxing and has been for my whole tenure there, Jim Gray, who of course is known to audiences far and wide as a man that has interviewed uh, the great and the near great in the world <laughs> of sports and beyond. Uh, and uh, he, he has written a book, which is a very fine read. And uh, we're going to have Jim on to talk about that. And he'll talk about some of his moments spent with uh, Mike Tyson, among others. Um, and uh, it, it, it's really a, a unique read. And I think uh, Jim will have a lot to say about it. Well, he is truly fearless, and uh, he has asked some amazing questions. I'm not going to give you a preview, but uh, he has all the courage in the world, and some could argue maybe a little crazy to ask some questions he does. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's absolutely true. So we're going to get into everything with Jim uh, and as we visit with him. Well, thanks to um, Jerron Bootsennis for joining us on this episode. Thanks to Tripp, of course, for his fine work. And uh, thanks to the folks at Let's Do Something Productions for making this show possible. And uh, thanks to you, as always, for watching. Take care.